it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Fox News Radio Studios in New York City. Fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here on this Tuesday. Alan West. Uh, is going to be with us at the bottom of the hour. You saw what happened at the University of Buffalo. They asked him to speak, and they protested. And the person who booked her had to hide in a bathroom because she was worried about her welfare. Alan West here. Senator Ron Johnson will be joining us in a matter of moments. And we have a lot to discuss today because the inflation number just came in, and it is not good. 8.5%, highest since 1980. Uh, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. 80 people who attended a big dinner earlier this month have tested positive. The situation is leading critics to accuse Democrats of hypocrisy in their adherence to pandemic protocols or their outrage about super spreader events. Yeah, no kidding. That's Brett Bear. Here we go again. COVID mania is about to sweep America again. Mark my words as Philly starts to mask up. Thanks to three deaths, three deaths, more dying traffic accidents. Do we stop driving? And as we now get uh, get the rankings on who handled it the best and the worst in terms of this pandemic over the last two years, guess who did it better? Every red state. And oh, yeah, if COVID's so concerning in D.C., why not our southern border? Number two. Consumer prices up 8.5% since, Mar- since uh, March of last year. And the core rate, you take out food and energy, and you've got a 6.5% rate. That's much higher than expected, and that's extremely high. Inflation slamming the quality of life of everybody listening right now. The con- this stunning consumer price index was just released. Inflation is now at 8.5%. How do we avoid a recession? Biden's brunch is still blaming it on Vladimir Putin. That's not a plan, by the way. Number one. We just put out an official resource, and we have the updated information there that almost half a million people, more than 400,000, have been forcefully deported or relocated to Russia. Out of them, 91,000 are children. Are you kidding me? You cannot be more barbaric and more inhumane than this. The Russian army and their bloodthirsty leadership, they're now kidnapping tens of thousands of kids, raping in young and old accusations of gassing Mariupol, 10 to 20,000 dead in that city alone. The bloodiest battles yet to come as Vladimir Putin jails his own top intel officials and his worst nightmare looms as NATO is prepared to welcome in two new neighbors. Senator Ron Johnson uh, joins us now, Homeland Security Secretary. He's going for six more years in the Senate. He's been an impactful senator from day one and a rich target for Democrats. Senator, welcome back. Morning, Brian. Hope you're doing well. Good, good. good. Um, uh, first off, on how this war is unfolding, the so-called experts that gave us the Afghanistan withdrawal were the ones who predicted that Zelensky would die and lose 15,000 troops and fall in 72 hours. That's why they offered him a ride out. Now we hear on day 46, and he's won almost every major military battle, but the horrific way in which the Russians conducting this war has gone beyond anyone's worst nightmares. 
Well, Brian, remember, as uh, President Obama's Defense Secretary Robert Gates said that the uh, Vice President Biden at the time has been wrong on every major foreign policy issue in uh, over 40 years. And there's also Senator or President Obama said that uh, don't underestimate Joe Biden's ability to, you know what, things up. Um, and that's what he's done. Uh, we should have provided Ukraine sufficient lethal defensive weaponry before the invasion to at least attempt, try to change Putin's calculation. Uh, I met with uh, a number of uh, Ukrainian female legislators. They were begging us for resupply. They were begging us for the weapons to actually win the war. Uh, I was just on a Zoom call yesterday with the Ukrainian prime minister, the defense minister, the finance minister. Uh, the finances of Ukraine are awful. I mean, their GDP, I think, is going to be down by more than 40 percent. Uh, they're in a desperate situation. And again, the administration is slow walking the type of weaponry. So, no, I think this administration completely uh, misunderstood the extent to which Ukrainians would fight and die for their own freedom. They have not provided them with the resupplying the weaponry they need, and they're continuing to slow walk it. So it's just a complete misreading of the, of the situation. And, uh, you know, I, I, I saw one tweet, I think it was from uh, either, I think it might have been the Ukrainian defense secretary. Said, Here's the deal. The West, you provide us the weapons, we will fight and die for all of our freedom. Uh, that's a pretty good deal. I think we ought to provide them the, the weaponry they need to fight for their freedom, but also help protect the rest of the West. So, Senator Johnson, you know, I know you are all over this uh, situation. The Russians have lost, according to the Ukrainians, 19,500 troops, 725 tanks, 1,923 armored vehicles, 347 artillery systems, 154 aircraft, 137 helicopters, uh, and they have admitted to big losses. And yesterday it was revealed that Vladimir Putin purged more than 100 FSB agents for an apparent retaliation on the Ukrainian invasion quagmire, including his chief of operations. They're going to some uh, infamous prison where Stalin used to torture the people he hated most. So all hell is breaking loose. Why don't people realize at the Pentagon, at the White House, that we have a chance to cut one of our greatest adversaries down to side for at least for decades to come and maybe give the Russian people a chance to change leadership? Don't they see this as an opportunity? Well, the problem is their their leadership uh, are the same knuckleheads that have been advising President Biden now for probably those 40 years. Or, or, you know, at least the, the last decade or so of those 40 years, uh, they've just got bad leadership. And let's face it, uh, you know, so much of our military now is also more concerned about wokeness than they are about readiness. And they're, they're risk averse. Listen, I don't want to take undue risk, but I think it's pretty obvious that Vladimir Putin was saber rattling when he talked about uh, nuclear weapons. He's in retreat. Uh, I, I've heard the generals, the, you know, the, the good generals, the retired generals, uh, talk about this is the exact time to press an advantage when your when your enemy is in disarray. Go after them. Uh, don't don't let them regroup. Don't let them dig in in the Donbas region in eastern Ukraine and and complete that land bridge to Crimea. You know this is the time to strike and strike hard. But we're just not giving them the resources to do it. Uh, uh, they are they are begging for uh, things like A10s, uh, things that could be incredibly effective. Uh, the, the type of aircraft that quite honestly the U.S. military is trying to re- retire. Uh, give it to them. Let them win this war. Let them push out Vladimir Putin. We, we can't let we have to have Vladimir Putin defeated. We can't let him claim victory here, because if he does, 
It'll be another frozen conflict like we have in Transnistria, like we have in Georgia. He'll just bide his time, and he will strike again. And he might be using chemical weapons in Mariupol, too. So there's going to be bloody. But they want to get the Ukrainians into an open field and out of the urban environments, and we'll see how that goes if they aren't reinforced. I mean, I don't even know that the drones, those suicide drones have gotten there, those kamikaze drones. We almost, we promised them 100. I don't know if they've arrived yet. It was the S-300 system that the Czech Republic or Slovakia uh, promised. It, the Czech Republic gave them some tanks. I'm really not sure why we can't do the same. And then, of course, w- w- the Black Sea and international waters. Why don't we have a presence in international waters? Why are we so scared? Why are we paying all our tax money for a vigorous defense, the best, and we're, not, and we're afraid to use it because it's going to look provocative? It's absolutely maddening. Your view on Sweden and Finland possibly applying for and getting admission into NATO, would you support it? Yes. You know, again, NATO is a defensive alliance. No one, no one is threatening Russia. No one is. You know, certainly not NATO, certainly not Ukraine, certainly not the U.S. This war from the beginning was a war crime. And now we're seeing evidence of what even the legal system views as true war crimes. Um, we cannot allow this to stand. Again, I, I don't want I don't I don't want to turn this into a direct conflict between the U.S. and Russia. I don't or NATO. Uh, I don't want to escalate this thing. But we have the capability on the ground, again, to let the Ukrainians do the fighting for the entire world. Uh, they're willing to do that. They are fighting and they are dying. The minimum we can do is provide them with the the weaponry to win the war. So the new inflation numbers in, you made your you made your you had your success story written already in business. Here's Jen Psaki. It's now eight point five percent. This is what she said. She knew this number was going to be big. This is what she said yesterday. Cut eleven. So because of, because of the actions we've taken to address uh, Putin, the Putin price hike, we are in a better place than we were last month. Um, but we expect March CPA CPI headline inflation to be extraordinarily elevated due to Putin's price hike. And we expect a large difference between core and headline inflation reflecting the global disruptions in energy and food markets. So core inflation doesn't include energy and food prices. Uh, Headline inflation does. So uh, is this a Putin price hike? (laughs) Of course not. And, you know, what's sad, Brian, is that the mainstream media will probably back them up. Uh, There's no doubt that the, the war in Ukraine is the icing on top of the cake, but Core inflation, what's actually happening here, is, is it didn't just happen. It was caused by Democrat governance, by the administration policies. I mean, you come into office and you declare war on fossil fuels. You cancel the Keystone XL pipeline. You drive up not only the price of gasoline, but the price of energy. You know, energy is a cost component to every good and service that we consume. So you, you start the inflationary cycle there. Then you continue to pile on all this massive out-of-control deficit spending. You print too many dollars chasing too few goods. Why do you have even fewer goods? Because you spend those dollars and allow people to sit on the sidelines, not re-enter the workforce. So manufacturers, for example, in Wisconsin, they can't hire enough people. They're not filling up the shifts. They can't meet the demand. So you've got higher energy prices. You've got far too many dollars chasing too few goods. It's a triple whammy of inflation caused by Democrat governance, Democrat policies. This isn't this isn't caused by Putin. That may be the icing on the cake, but this is caused by Democrat policies. And people have to wake up to that 
even if the mainstream media won't. So is are we in this pandemic or not? I mean, there you guys are now thinking about, well, Mitt Romney's working with Democrats to get more pandemic aid out. Now, I know the restaurants are hurting. I know that for sure. Everywhere I go, to, I've been one of these people that was traveling for the entire two years. Wherever I went, restaurants, even they were crowded, talk about the price they pay. And now that they can, now that they can open, they can't get employees. So I think there's got to be some type of restaurant help. But for the most part, we are told that Title 42 evaporates because the pandemic's over. They're putting masks back on in Philadelphia. They're, they're, uh, you have all these uh, 92% increase in cases with mild symptoms in Washington, D.C., where you work part-time. Is this over or not? Well, Brian, I argued very early on against the widespread shutdowns. I wrote a piece for USA Today on March 30th, 2020, saying we could not shut down our economy. Sure, target shutdowns for those venues that represent an out-of-control spread and then compensate them. But what we did is widespread shutdowns, massive spending. We just helicoptered it throughout the economy. There are so many businesses that got hundreds of billions of dollars in total that they didn't need. And instead, some of those businesses like restaurants didn't get any help whatsoever. So we have bungled our response to COVID across the board. And, of course, nobody's going to admit they're wrong. Probably our biggest blunder was we didn't focus on early treatment. So I believe hundreds of thousands of people died that didn't. But, no, this has been grossly mismanaged. I don't know how anybody could look at how we responded to COVID and call it success. It's been a miserable failure. 975,000 Americans dead, more than 6 million people globally. The human toll, the economic devastation caused by these ill-advised shutdowns that didn't work, that didn't work. And, Brian, look what we've done to our children. The state of fear we created, some children will never recover from it. You know, a year's lost learning. We made them wear masks. You know, listen, the science, I think, is, is, is pretty in that for COVID, Masks are not particularly effective. And I'll tell you one group of people that we knew masks would never work on, children. Have you ever seen children wear masks? And yet we're continuing in some places like crazy New York to make young children wear masks, even though we know they're not going to work. No, it's, this has been insane, our response to COVID. But our problem, Brian, is nobody will admit they're wrong. The COVID cartel, you know, the Biden administration, the health agencies, the big pharma, the big media, big social media. They're the COVID cartel. They're the ones that have mismanaged this. Mismanaged this. The body count is far too high. They, they can't afford to be proven wrong. And here's the main point, Brian. They have the power mm. to make it almost impossible to prove them wrong. So that's why we're probably getting to get more of the same. It, it, it's, they, have to, they have to pile it on so that they will never be proven to be wrong. Got to ask you uh, real quick of two real things real quick. What about what's going on in the Senate about exposing the expenses? The Senate expense disclosure has brought a key government transparency measures to a standstill, depriving so far the public of information about uh, who's spending what. The House has let their spending be known. We don't know anything about the Senate. Would that be a problem for you? Spending on what? On your expenses. It says spending exposure. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be total disclosure. Uh, we should. I mean, the public has a right to know what the government spends and whether it's uh, congressional offices or what, how we misspent trillions of dollars on COVID uh, response. The public has a right to know. I am for total transparency. I am for the truth. Unfortunately, I've been there. I've tried to do oversight. And the deep state is very good at hiding, hiding its secrets.
Lastly, Hunter Biden, Washington Post, New York Times is doing something you knew about two years ago, looking into Hunter Biden's investments, dealings with China in particular. Uh, Yahoo has now joined major media outlets in condemning uh, Hunter's uh, laptop and some of the revelations there. It says raises concern about counterintelligence. What do you take about these all these people late to the party that you found and were abandoned? Well, it's it's way too little, way too late. I've been calling it a very Nixonian. It's a modified limited hangout. They're giving you a little bit of truth. They're a a limited mea culpa here. They're they're saying, oh, we were kind of sort of wrong, but they're still not going to tell the American people the full truth. Remember, they pursued the the Russian Trump collusion hoax because they thought it'd be so dangerous, you know, possible blackmail of a sitting president. Here they have real compromise. I mean, our report, Senator Grassley is my report. We showed all this, this foreign financial entanglements that represent a real compromise, a real threat to national security. And and Senator, get back in the majority and you can continue doing that. That, That's going to be key. That's why the midterms and that's why you're running. Senator Ron Johnson, thank you. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Does that mean that extending the mask mandate in public transportation is a live option? It's on the table? Yeah, I, I look, this is a CDC decision, uh, and uh, I think it is absolutely on the table. And, the, and Dr. Walensky is going to make uh, her decision based on, on the framework that the CDC scientists create, and, and we'll make a decision uh, collectively based on that. Is this unbelievable? This is this new uh, White House, this pundit turned White House coronavirus response coordinator, Asha Jha. Is that how you say his name? Uh, he was from uh, Ashish. Uh, what, what channel was he on? Uh, was he uh, CNN? Yeah, NBC Today. So, but I know, but he was from CNN, right? So whatever. He ends up one minute he's a pundit, and now he's the expert. So now he's saying there's an excellent chance another month with the mass mandates on planes. Have you asked any one of the airlines? Have you talked to the science people how quick the air transfers in a plane and that now you might extend it again? We should be going on hospitalizations, on hospitalizations and deaths. Hospitalizations are way down, all-time low when the China gave us this virus. And now you have uh, deaths. Three deaths in Philadelphia, six in New York. More sadly die in bike accidents or um, heart attacks. We haven't stopped exerting ourselves. We haven't stopped driving cars or bikes. I mean, and to think that they're going to go back to masks that don't work is maddening. We cannot take this. All I can tell you, go ahead and look at what's happening in China. We're not far from this. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share.
a radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's mixed messages without due respect. How can we be adding billions of dollars for COVID vaccines or helping the restaurants and, you know, the relief that we've been voting on? Mass mandates might even come up in parts of the country because cases are going up. But then we're saying at the border, everything is fine. That is a mixed message. And again, there will be a large number of people that will be continue to come in. That is Henry Cuellar, a Democrat at the border, being run, a primaried and in a runoff with a woman way to his left and still doing the right thing. I have infinite amount of respect for him. And the administration blows him off at every chance. Barack Obama wouldn't give him the time of day, and either will President Biden, who wouldn't even go near the border. And when they do send a delegation down there, they never go visit him. He's got the ideas. The guy spends his free time doing this. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West knows all about the border and the challenges being in Texas. He's Americans Constitutional Rights Union Executive Director and joins us now. Colonel, welcome back. It's good to be with you, Brian. How are you today? Good. What is your take on, uh, on Henry Cuellar pointing out exactly what we both know? You can't have a pandemic and ask for billions in aid in D.C. and then say goodbye Title 42 in May because the pandemic's over in Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, and California. No, you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, I served up there in Congress with Henry Cuellar, and he is what you would call that conservative blue dog Democrat. And that's what the uh, Democrat Party is trying to eradicate and get rid of. He is down there in the valley in Laredo. That's his home base. And he sees what's happening. He understands what's happening. And he recognizes the fact that it's the policies of the Biden administration that has caused this explosion of illegal immigration that has brought about this drug trafficking crisis, human and sex trafficking crisis. And how can you stand up there and say that we're going to drop, lift these Title 42 restrictions, which basically says that COVID is over for illegal immigrants, but yet you're still trying to make American citizens knuckle under to all of the quote-unquote pandemic issues, to include the fact that even in the state of Texas, we're still living under the emergency declaration, COVID emergency declaration, which was renewed by Governor Abbott back in March. So folks are very confused. I mean, are, are we still under a pandemic? Or if I'm an illegal immigrant, I don't have to worry about pandemic restrictions. Uh, exactly. So uh, I love that Governor Abbott said, I'm going to start shipping these, uh, busing these illegals into uh, uh, into Washington, D.C. Now suddenly they stopped the drop-off points inside Texas, but that does not solve the problem. If this is an American problem that we, we brought on ourselves, and the idiot retort is, well, we don't have comprehensive, and I put a immigration, comprehensive immigration program and the Republicans won't look at it. Is he crazy? Does he think we're stupid? Uh, yes, they do. And the bottom line is this. Uh, we're not supposed to just open up our borders. We are a sovereign nation, and Texas is a sovereign state, and we're supposed to be protecting the borders. You talk to those people down there in those border communities, they're living in terror. Their their property is being destroyed, livestock being killed, and they can't even go out and enjoy their lives without worrying about someone you know coming up to them and demanding the, their cell phone be recharged or food and water, things of this nature. So we're seeing the undermining of the rule of law here in America. And at some point in time, we've got to have people to step up and correct this. And I don't agree with busing illegal immigrants to Washington, D.C., because first and foremost, who pays for the buses? Who pays for the gas? Who you pays guys. for the food? 
Yeah. And so why should I be paying for illegal immigrants to get bussed anywhere into the United States of America? Uh, that, that's a good point. Uh, but it looks like it stopped them from doing this, but it hasn't stopped them from doing it, period. Rob Astorino, he's a, he's a Westchester County executive, has video of these planes landing at 8 o'clock at night. 11, they go to a secret location, in come the buses, and out go the immigrants. Cut 27. Yeah. One just came in one hour ago to Westchester County Airport, and they're deplaning right now. So this is going to continue. And the Biden administration must have such contempt for Americans that they're importing people from other countries, flying them into the interior, and just dispersing them, and then turning them into voters like New York City, where they will be allowed to vote with 30-day residency. And Governor Kathy Hochul, she has set up a $2 billion fund in New York, so that's a magnet for free stuff for anyone to come here. So they get a phone, then they get the El Paso Express to Westchester and everywhere else, and then they get almost all the other goodies. And the entire time, we, the citizens, won't even get an answer from our government, and we get stuck with the tab. It's, uh, how long can we, uh, do we have to tolerate this? Can you sue? I don't know. I know you're not a lawyer, but can you sue the federal government for not doing their job? Well, yeah, because it's called Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution, and that's the guarantee clause. And uh, two things that the federal government is supposed to guarantee to every state in the union, number one, a, a Republican form of government because we're a constitutional republic. And the second thing is supposed to protect every state in the union from invasion. And what you see happening is an invasion of people that are here illegally. And, yeah, I think that every state should be uh, bringing charges against the federal government for undermining their states. And, you know, the fact that you have this going on, like Rob Astorino just brought out, that has to be very disconcerting. And remember that New York City, what did Mayor Bill de Blasio do before he headed out? He uh, has now allowed illegal immigrants to vote in your city, New York City. And Mayor Eric Adams has not changed that. So what next? Uh, it's absolutely sinful. Colonel, I know you wanted to speak at the University of Buffalo. And yeah. what happened? They booked you, and then what took place? Well, you know, I, I speak for the Young America's Foundation and travel to many different college campuses. And the subject was, you know, race and American exceptionalism, uh, to speak about, you know, America not being a racist country. And who better did they think could do that than someone such as myself that was born in a blacks-only hospital in Atlanta, Georgia, 61 years ago? But look at the things that I've been able to achieve and enjoy. And uh, My wife came here legally as an immigrant from Jamaica. Now she's a naturalized citizen with an MBA and a Ph.D. But yet those students didn't want to hear that up there. And as a matter of fact, they were very disruptive, and I think people have seen now that it was a mob. It, it was radical. It was militant. And I had to be escorted off of the campus uh, by the police officers. And then after that, uh, they turned their angst against many of those conservative students that were there who had invited me to come and speak. That is absolutely insane. Here's a little of how it sounded. I mean, what are they even talking about? I mean, they, you're the problem. A successful uh, military officer with almost three decades in, congressman, and now self-made success story. Uh, and they, well, they, people have a problem hearing your story. 
Yeah, they do because the thing was they, you know, as a as, as they said, as a black man, you're an embarrassment for coming up here. And as the one young lady said, giving validity to these oppressors that are sitting here. And so they don't even recognize the other students. They just see them because of their skin colors being oppressed. And how interesting you think about how life has changed. And I talked about this on Fox and Friends over the weekend, was that once upon a time, you know, blacks had to be escorted onto college and university campuses. And they had to face, you know, yelling and screaming from white students that did not want them to be there. Now, you know, here I am having to be escorted off of a college or university campus, being yelled and screamed at by black students who still want to talk about how they're oppressed. And, and, and how, does, how do, does their actions and their behavior solve anything? As a matter of fact, they were the ones that were embarrassing. And so because of the fact that I would not say that, you know, you got to hate white people, you got to hate America, that threw them into, that, well, I'll use the term, that triggered them. So you were never able to speak? No, I was able to speak. And then after I gave my presentation, and I even brought the book up from slavery, of Booker T. Washington and his incredible success story. That didn't matter to them. And, and that this, the shouting and screaming started during the question and answer period. They had to end the, uh, the event early. And then outside they were banging, kicking on doors and everything, screaming, we want West. Uh, I got to tell you, I don't know what they wanted. But uh, if anyone had tried to, you know, physically assault me, it, it would have been a not good day for them. No, these guys don't have the courage to do that. They have no idea who they're dealing with or what they're saying. Uh, I'm embarrassed for them. But if you go to the University of Buffalo, it's Buffalo, University of Buffalo, right? Yes, you University should, of Buffalo. Yeah, you should really think how you're spending your money uh, because obviously there's a, a pretty twisted line of defense to show up and protest rather than ask a question at an event and then have the organizers have to hide in the bathroom because they've had to worry about their own welfare. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, uh, Colonel, they don't deserve you. Thanks so much for joining us, though. Always a pleasure, but I'm always going to go on these campuses and continue to expose them. Understood. Uh, thank you, Colonel. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. God bless. So, so just watching what's going on in New York City right now, uh, evidently there's been a shooting at a subway station around 34th Street. Uh, 13 injured in the Brooklyn subway shooting. Um, I'm trying to see now, get more information on it. But you have, uh, it looks like there is probably, I don't know, 30 cop cars uh, blocking off to all traffic in uh, in Brooklyn as we hear about uh, this shooting taking place. Um, so we're trying to see what was b- bizarre. It just it was a time in which when this took place, there was uh, it was the peak area uh, era, uh, the peak time of commutation here in New York City, which is back to full throttle in terms of uh, people being uh, packed into close proximity. So I guess we'll come back and take a time out. Yeah, and we'll try to get some more information. But again, uh, there's been a shooting in New York City. It took place about 15 minutes ago. We're trying to get the details. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Welcome back, everyone. We're just following this story right now. Multiple people shot at least one in uh, at least one New York City subway station. Un- there was an undetonated uh, devices. Looks like plural found. So the NYPD confirmed that a shooting took place at a Broadway, uh, Brooklyn subway station uh, about within a half hour ago. The NYPD confirmed to Fox News Digital that a shooting took place on 36th Street in Sunset Park in Brooklyn. Did not immediately have the information on how many people were wounded and whether a suspect has been taken into custody. The FDNY, so the fire department, told the Fox News that firefighters responded to a call of smoke uh, on these on the D, the N, the NR line, which, by the way, I think runs under our building. Uh, upon arrivals, units discovered multiple people shot and several undenet several undenetonated devices. There's a photo circulating on Twitter uh, that is very graphic. Several people lying uh, on the blood-soaked floor of the station. One man applied pressure to what appeared to be another man's leg wound. A red item of clothing was tied around the wound to slow the bleeding. A puddle of blood was seen next to the second person. The department, uh, the police department account warned that the public to avoid the 36th Street, no kidding, and 4th, uh, 4th Avenue area in Brooklyn. Uh, the governor tweeted that she had been briefed on it. Who cares? So that's the story. Uh, an ugly shooting. Now, I'm not sure if this is a ghost gun, but according to the president, it's all about ghost guns. So another ugly shooting. Democrats will sit there and say the, the problems of the guns. And I think most logical people will say, obviously, if you have an illegal gun, you're usually going to use it for an illegal activity. But number two is there's no enforcement. There's no hell to pay uh, for these for almost every crime uh, today in America. And that that's where we're interested to see the president fumble through uh, the assembly of a ghost gun yesterday was uh, was pretty was pretty pathetic. Uh, and but that's what he says is the problem. That's him cracking down on crime. He says, I'm going to give more money to law enforcement for who listen to Al Sharpton, of all people, talk about law enforcement and the crackdown on crime in New York City. You would think he's like, well, we should be don't touch bail reform and let's not worry about the cops are the problem. Where's police reform? I was surprised to hear this. Cut 37. They're losing people of color because they really don't get the people of color's life. We don't want to be manipulated by right-wing elitist billionaires or by left-wing guys that don't understand our life on the ground that is living in fear of crime, that is yeah. living as a result of inflation that is that is killing us, many parts of this country. These limousine liberals here in New York don't live in the real world. Wow, right? I mean, that's pretty significant. Limousine liberals, you know, they're, of course, going after the right wing, no big deal. Uh, right wing billionaires, most billionaires support the Democrats, so I don't even think we're going to go along with that. Uh, but if you listen to the Democrats and Mayor, Mayor Eric Adams in particular, he's always talking about ghost guns. And he says it's way overdue to get the crackdown. What they are, sure, it's a problem. You can order all these different parts, they get delivered to your house, you put it together, the gun doesn't exist except for the one, except for when it's in your hand. Now they're going to make everyone put serial numbers on all the parts. Uh, now the problem is the criminals that want to shoot people. Uh, you could give me 25 ghost guns and almost everybody I know, we will not commit any crime. Guaranteed. Not commit any crime. So it makes you wonder, do they think we're idiots? As the sheriff told me this morning out in California on Fox and Friends, it's... As if someone was drunk driving, killed somebody, and they blamed the car. I think it's a pretty good analogy. Ryan Kleckner is a former Army Ranger. He was on uh, last night on Fox uh, on Fox News. Cut 38. 
they're coming up with an issue that doesn't really exist here. I mean, these ghost guns that they're calling them are these guns that people can make on their own at home. My first problem with this is they're not allowed to do this. People have been able to make their own firearms since before we were a country. Nothing yeah. about any ATF rules or regulations has anything to do with individuals making their own firearms at home. We've always been able to do it. But they also can't do it procedurally. Biden said he's going to use regulatory authority. Well, there's a problem. The definition of what a firearm is is already in law. It's codified in federal law. You right. can't use regulatory authority to change a law. And even here, they're just trying to do rulemaking, which is somehow under regulations. They're trying to expand the definition of what a firearm is to include some gun parts that can then be used later to make your own perfectly legal firearm. So uh, I was just stunned to think that's how they're handling crime. You know, they're just doing it because he's hemorrhaging poll numbers. Uh, When it comes to crime, he's in his mid-30s. When it comes to the economy, about 34%. Overall, his approval rating's at 42%. But I saw Quinnipiac, he's down to 37%. So this type of thing, uh, you can continue to blame. I don't know. You're going to blame the Democratic mayor? You're going to blame the Democratic governor in New York? The smashing grabs really took root, not in in Wisconsin, uh, not in Montana, not in Florida, you can fit them in San Francisco, Los Angeles, and now New York City. So good luck with that. The American people are making a massive judgment now. And first off, you're telling them, uh, don't don't play a role in your kids' education. They lose some suburban moms. Then you get vilified if you're not uh, okay with your kid learning about transsexual uh, transsexual uh, choices in uh, K through third grade. That's not going to fly. They, they're about to get routed. Because their policies suck. They're not good for America. They're not good for American families. And they're not good for the inner city. They're not good for rural communities. We're watching in action. You got the Senate. You got the House. You got the presidency. We're horrified by what you left us, let alone the economy, which is around 8.5% inflation. No joke. No malarkey. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, Varney and Company will do a simulcast shortly. And then Dave Harsani, uh, a syndicated columnist, will be with us shortly. He's talking about Hunter Biden, National Review, and uh, and how the rest of the mainstream media is just getting on the bandwagon now. And this is... This is it's like, for example, if you, do, you ever do a, uh, a paper on a, uh, a policy paper or on a book and then someone goes, I have an idea. I want to do something on the same thing. And the book that you read two years ago and they're like, OK, if you want to. But I just did it. So we're pretending as if the rest of the world is just discovering a story that we thought was important two years ago. Uh, Dave Harsani about that and Michael Goodwin with us shortly from The New York Post. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. 80 people who attended a big dinner earlier this month have tested positive. The situation is leading critics to accuse Democrats of hypocrisy in their adherence to pandemic protocols or their outrage about super spreader events. That is uh, Brett Baer, of course, talking about... Uh, Here we go again. COVID mania is about to sweep America. Mark my words, Philadelphia starts masking up indoors because they had all of three deaths. Do we stop driving because of traffic accidents? As we know, the rankings on who handled it best and worst, it reads like who's who of red states handled it best and the worst. You got it blue. And oh, yeah, if COVID was so concerning in D.C., why not a southern border concern for COVID-19? 
Number two. Consumer prices up 8.5% since, Mar uh, since uh, March of last year. And the core rate, you take out food and energy, and you've got a 6.5% rate. That's much higher than expected, and that's extremely high. Uh, that, of course, is the inflation report. This just in within the last 45 minutes. Inflation is now at a 40-year high, 8.5%. How do we avoid a recession? Biden bunch is blaming, blaming, blaming Vladimir Putin. That's clear. We just put out an official resource, and we have the updated information there that almost half a million people, more than 400,000, have been forcefully deported or relocated to Russia. Out of them, 91,000 are children. Do you believe this? They've abducted children. You cannot be more barbaric and inhumane than Russia, their army, and their bloodthirsty leadership. They're kidnapping tens of thousands of kids, raping young and old, accusations of gassing in Mariupol, 10 to 20,000 dead in that horrible, uh, that just destroyed uh, wrecked city. And now, report of Vladimir Putin jailing 100 of his top intel officers because of how they misled him into this Ukraine action. Meanwhile... Multiple people shot uh, at that subway station in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, that's according to the fire department on scene, as you can see from the screen on, on uh, your monitor there, your TV at home. Fire personnel responding to reports of smoke at the 36th Street station. This is the Sunset Park neighborhood. Uh, when they arrived, they found multiple people shot, undetonated devices. Uh, that again, according to the fire department. So that has just happened about 8.30 Eastern time. I'm in New York City, 48th and 6th. But down in Brooklyn, there was a shooting at the 36th Street Station on the DNR lines in Sunset Park. Why is this especially important? Yesterday, the President of the United States talking about ghost guns, saying they're the problem. The mayor of uh, Eric Adams says they're the problem. I don't know if the, do you care if a ghost gun shot you or not. A strap hanger who witnessed the event while riding the Manhattan-bound N-train told the Post there were so many rounds fired off, he lost count. Uh, evidently, a few people have been shot. The assailant looks like this. He describes it a 5-foot, five 5-inch five black man around 170 pounds wearing an orange vest and a gas mask. He dropped some kind of cylinder uh, that sparked at the top. Quote, I thought he was an MTA worker at first because I was like, I didn't, I didn't like, pay too much attention to him. And he's got that orange vest on. The NYPD bomb squad is on the scene because of these devices. Michael Goodwin has seen it all, uh, located in New York, but nationally syndicated columnist with the New York Post. Michael, from what you see, and we're watching on television right now, uh, this is obviously about 30 cop cars, uh, multiple FDNY uh, fire engines. Uh, good morning, Brian. Yes, this is uh, quite an incident. And, uh, you know, for people who are outside New York, uh, anything that happens in the subways is kind of doubly terrifying because you're trapped. And so uh, the people who were injured um, and the people who just witnessed this, I'm sure they're all just horrified by the, by the fear that comes from how do you get out of here? How You know, smoke, fire, gunshots potential uh, blast of a, debt, of a, of a device, uh, all of these things just, it, it, it's, it's a kind of terrorism. Uh, we don't know anything about this person yet, what his motives were, uh, whether he's affiliated with any other group or, or just full of rage and hate. Uh, this is, uh, this, for many New Yorkers, this is a nightmare that you, you come upon, you're trapped, you can't get out, there's smoke, there's fire, there's gunshots. 
um, this is this is an urban nightmare come to life. Yeah, I know that about it. I mean, I'm on the subway maybe three times a week, uh, sometimes five. So you always think about that. I'm not in Brooklyn, but I'm in Manhattan. But you always say, yeah, this is pretty good for a bomb shelter. It's bad if you have an angry person who's armed uh, on it. And so far, it is uh, Eric Adams with his uh, police background has done nothing or has had almost no effect on the crime problem in this city. You know, Brian, I, I disagree on that. Um, I, I think Eric Adams, he's been in office 100 days. Uh, maybe he's moving a little slower than he should have. But, but I think he's quite serious about tackling the crime problem. And the things he had done, I think, are the right things. The undercover units, yes, I know that they're not undercover. They're wearing a police. And they're only police, going for uh, guns. Uh, bla- uh, not a blazer, but like a, a, a windbreaker. Uh, to, show, to show that uh, they are police and that they have a right to search you uh, and to take that gun from you. So that, because they, they felt before that the undercover units were involved in a disproportionate number of incidents, uh, and they believe that some of that was because people didn't know they were cops at first and might have resisted or maybe thought they were criminals. So whatever, it's an attempt. And I think that alone breaks with the previous mayor and the previous police commissioner who, who had no, who just stopped these incidents without replacing these, these gang, these uh, crime units without replacing them. And I think, I think Adams is doing that. I think he's working with the governor to clean up the subways, to get the homeless off. He's, he's taking down homeless encampments and, and moving those people to shelters, whether they will stay. I mean, they have a right to, to not stay, unfortunately. But I do think he's doing things, and I think it's early, too early to write him off. I I wouldn't say write him off, but I would say the numbers have not decreased. That's true. That's true. The, the number, the percentage of crime, something like 37 percent over last year. But last year was uh, very high over 2020, and 2020 was very high over 2019. So we are in the third year of a new crime wave in New York and many other cities. And I believe Eric Adams is the only Democrat who ran for mayor who was going to do anything about this. Uh, and so I, I personally want to give him some more time. I want to encourage him. I want to criticize him when things aren't going well, but I, but but I think he is trying, and I think we all have to hope that he succeeds because so, yeah. if he doesn't. I think New York is finished. Uh, yeah, but I mean, uh, people listening to us now in Chicago, people listening to us in Los Angeles and San Francisco, uh, in part in parts of North Carolina in particular, these big cities all going through similar strife because. Uh, and cops don't want to stay on the job because there's no enforcement, because they, if they enforce something, there's no penalty. So to go out and say, OK, we had a problem with crime and it's ghost guns, I find it insulting. But Mayor Adams did say this is what he wanted to see happen. He tested positive of COVID-19, basically asymptomatic. Cut 36. I cannot thank uh, the president enough for uh, taking uh, the crisis of gun violence violence uh, serious in our city and in our country. In many of the conversations that I have had with him, uh, he has clearly shown his commitment and dedication to deal uh, with this important crisis that we are facing. But how? I mean, for ghost guns? Listen, it's a problem. You know, but you could get, Michael, I could give you five ghost guns. You're not going to shoot anybody. You can give me 20 ghost guns. You're not going to shoot anybody. 
Why are we pretending that that's attacking the crime problem? Well, uh, I think it is an element. I mean, there's a murder in New York City just the other day involving one of these guns, a, a teenager caught in a crossfire. I mean, again, every parent's nightmare. A, a good, a good young girl, by by all accounts, and caught in a crossfire uh, with with the shooter using this gun. Uh, one of these ghost guns that's assembled rather than bought, and so it's not traceable. Um, it's an element within the crime problem. Uh, I don't, uh, I mean, Biden, for example, I don't believe is serious about the crime problem because I think his party has uh, attacked police and, as you say, demoralized so many police. I mean, Biden never was never for defund the police movement, but he didn't argue against it either, and it was coming from his party. Adams, I think, never embraced the defund the movement. He was clear all throughout this period about violence. So that's why I think uh, he, as he said himself when he was elected, I'm going to be the new face of the Democratic Party. Implicit in that is that the old Democratic Party has given up on tackling crime and become a criminal coddler. I mean, he's been arguing with his own party in Albany. The lawmakers in Albany who hold control over the state legislature have done all these crazy things on the bail law. Andrew Cuomo signed those things into law when he was governor, so he can't escape this. Uh, Adams is, is the lone voice in his party, in New York at least, speaking out against these things. So that's why I am still in his corner. I uh, haven't given up on him yet. 13 uh, shot in Brooklyn. We're still watching some of this, and we see some devices there, bomb squad on the scene in New York. It's about all the national networks covering what's happening in, over in Brooklyn. So I want you to hear Al Sharpton struck me. He was on another channel, and he was asked about, uh, about crime. And listen to what he had to say, Cut 37. They're losing people of color because they really don't get the people of color's life. We don't want to be manipulated by right-wing elitist billionaires or by left-wing guys that don't understand our life on the ground that is living in fear of crime, that is yeah. living as a result of inflation that is, that is killing us, many parts of this country. These limousine liberals here in New York don't live in the real world. So <laughs> that caught everybody by surprise, the limousine liberals and those billionaire uh, Republicans, more billionaire Democrats, by the way. Yeah, right. Uh, look, uh, Reverend Alworth has uh, got lots of stereotypes in that uh, in that little clip, but he's on to something, right? I mean, here here you have it again. That, but the problem is uh, in the Democratic Party. Many of the black legislators in the Democratic Party are four square behind these horrible policies. And so there is a schism really within the black community as there is within the white community. You have this, this cadre of, on, among whites of these activists, far left, you know, who probably many of them grew up in middle class or poor households, have become elitist by virtue of their education credentials, and now denounce every 
everything about America. Uh, I, I think among black lawmakers, you have hey. a similar phenomenon where they are secure, they have pr- police protection, and and they look down on people who who live in cities with that, you know, and say, oh, the cops are bad. Uh, whereas Al Sharpton even knows that the people in these communities depend on the police to save them from I the got bad news guys for in their midst. I got news for you. This just in. New York's Lieutenant Governor Brian Benjamin arrested in campaign finance fraud. Uh, so he has been arrested moments ago uh, right here in New York. Oh, my goodness. Benjamin expected to appear in Manhattan Federal Court uh, sometime today uh, to be arraigned. Uh, spokesman well, for uh, the spokesman for the FBI previously declined the WNBC's request for comment. Investigators is looking into whether Benjamin helped dole out state money to contributors and or their projects as part of the alleged fraud. He was appointed, you know, by Governor Kathy Hochul. Another great decision by her. Uh, so that is a nut- more breaking news, along with the shooting down in Brooklyn, New York. Well, Brian, I should say, too, that Kathy Hochul chose uh, Benjamin because he was a black Democrat from New York City. Uh, she, she herself comes from up, upstate in, uh, near Buffalo. Yeah. She's white, and she wanted more downstate votes. Uh, a governor in New York, a Democrat, has to win big in New York City to win election. This is her first election. She's never run uh, as a, as a gov- gubernatorial candidate. She ran as lieutenant governor. And so she has a challenge. So what she decided to do, she was pretty open about it. I'm going to pick a black Democrat from New York City to be my lieutenant governor in the hopes of boosting my profile among black voters. She picked J- Benjamin, who turns out who turns out was under investigation the entire time. <laughs> oh, he knew it, but never told her. And now she's stuck with him on the ballot. He well, cannot listen. get off the ballot. Well, let me just tell you this. But I did not know that. That's great to know. Uh, and I'm up against a break, uh, but I just want to tell you, he's also the same Brian Benjamin who supports the defund the police movement. Uh, and he wants the he wants that defunded parts of the NYPD budget. So good. Good background check there. Uh, <laughs> may, maybe Google the guys before you sign up the guys. Governor Cuomo probably sees this as an opening. Uh, thanks so much, Michael Goodwin. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Brad. Right. Here we are, five between five and seven shot in the Brooklyn subway. We're following that breaking story in Brooklyn, New York. You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. So we're still following uh, that shooting at a Brooklyn subway. And I know we're national and we're listening all across the country and all these different markets. But this is being covered on every national network. And this is a very crowded subway right in the heart of rush hour, 830 in the morning. Shots ring out. A device is there. It looks like the guy, the suspect, five foot five inch black. Wearing a vest, people thought he was one of these, uh, maybe a track worker. The NYPD just put out this tweet. It says, in regards to the multiple people shot at 36th Street Subway in Brooklyn, there are no active explosive devices at this time. Any witnesses are asked to call, obviously, uh, and they give the number to give out. Uh, so were, we're just following that story as it develops, and we'll, and we'll see where it goes from here. 
And, you know, on top of that, you don't have a mayor that can even show up at the scene because he's COVID-19 positive, but he has absolutely no symptoms. So we'll see. The other big story, and I, I talked about this earlier, is that in New York, and maybe in this, in this particular instance, it's kind of, kind of fortuitous, but do you know that for the most part, we are still way shy of people coming back to work and filling this place up? Uh, places like Price Waterhouse, J.P. Morgan Chase, they are not close to, to full to capacity. That's hurting commercial real estate, obviously. Jamie Dimon, the, the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, said this month his annual shareholder letter had about half of his 271,000 employees working five days a week in New York. The rest are either holdouts or doing some type of hybrid situation. Uh, 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 Price Waterhouse, same situation. They say if you look at dry cleaners, coffee shops, they're all basically shuttered in the area because people aren't coming back. You know, you don't do, you don't have a huge margin in these bars and restaurants and dry cleaners and delis and coffee shops. You need people to show up. Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Do you think the media acted inappropriately when they instantly dismissed uh, Hunter Biden's laptop as Russian disinformation? My problem with Hunter Biden's laptop is I think totally irrelevant. I mean, it's not whether it's disinformation or... I mean, I don't think the Hunter Biden's um, business relationships have anything to do with who should be president of the United States. So... I didn't find I don't find it to be interesting. I mean that that would be my problem with the, that as a as a major news story. I could listen to this a thousand times and still be astounded each time. That's Ann Applebaum, the editor of Atlantic Magazine, at a forum talking about disinformation, and you had a, a college freshman at the University of Chicago ask a very direct question, and he would come on later on our network and be astounded by the answer. How could you find it not interesting? David Arsani, you find it interesting. You're senior writer for the National Review, syndicated columnist for the New York Post, and author of Euro Trash. David, are you astounded by that answer? And isn't that the premise of what you wrote about? Yeah, I mean, I'm not astounded that, that they would say it. I'm astounded that anyone would believe it, uh, I guess. I mean, she first of all, Ann Applebaum did care about it initially because she wrote about how it was disinformation. And kind of using disinformation as a pretext not to, not, you know, to undermine real journalism is disinformation itself. And uh, they did it right before a presidential campaign. And now they pretend it's this irrelevant distraction. If it was such an irrelevant distraction – then why did all of big tech and all major news organizations try to censor the piece? I mean, you know, it doesn't make any sense. But 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 just logic tells you, even if it's Billy Carter doing some deal in the Middle East in the 70s and with Billy Beer, it's of interest. The president of the United States, a uh-huh. leading contender, his son involved with deals with countries that clearly are an adversary of ours linked to the Chinese government, that doesn't, you don't think that's interesting at all? Remember Neil Bush? I mean, Neil Bush, that was that was a big story, and there was no Bush in power at the time. Yeah, I mean, it is in itself interesting because you have the son of the vice president and possibly president at the time cashing in on the, on the last name of a politician. That's the only reason he would be on any of these boards or making any of this money. That's one. But two, 
the story implicates the presidential candidate, now president, of being involved in these things and knowing about them when he had consistently said he knew nothing about them. So that's a, a lie. At the very least, a, a real journalist would be interested in exposing or looking into it. Now, of course, we presume that Biden is innocent. But, you know, if this was Trump or Trump's kids or anything like that, there would be uh, teams of investigators uh, investigative reporters dropping in on this story and digging digging as, as much as they can, which is the right thing to do, but they only do it for one side. Right, and then I'm fascinated to see Yahoo now picking up on this story. Now they are interested, the Washington Post and New York Times, they seem to be uh, interested. And remember what happened, uh, where was the interesting curiosity on the other side? When Steele Dossier came out, you have to look at it. It's got to be interesting. Donald Trump, as, uh, as uh, something happened there when he was a businessman, we got to find out about it. His son met with some Russian official. We got to find out about it. Here's Ari Fleischer on the difference. Cut 30. What does it tell you about the mainstream media's gut and instincts and judgment when they ran with the Steele dossier and, and they shunned everything that came out about the Hunter Biden story. They got it exactly backwards. They should have shunned the Steele dossier if they had good guts and good instincts and ran after this story. Uh, it just seems pretty obvious. Where do you think it's going, David? Well, it's not going to a good place because, you know, there's no reckoning for this, right? No one's like, oh, we were sorry. They make excuses. They pretend it's irrelevant. Even the mentions that you just uh, talked about in the Post and Washington Post and New York Times, in my opinion, those those have been dropped only because there's going to be some kind of filing or something's going to happen where it's going to come out. So they're basically managing the story and expectations about it. I don't actually think they want to report on it in any way. And uh, why should they? There is no, you know, it's the it's the editors of these papers and the editors who are supposed to be responsible journalists, but they allow this kind of thing to go on. So I don't think it's going to get any better. Yeah, I mean, uh, I just think it's fascinating because now we understand in some of these, in the grand jury, we know that uh, we, it looks like uh, Bobolinsky has not been questioned, but the name, but the question has been asked to some witnesses, do you know who the big guy is? The big guy, according to Bobolinsky, and it does seem logical, that gets 10% of the earnings from this Chinese fund would be Joe Biden, who is currently the president of the United States. So this could be getting a lot bigger. And I'm surprised that the media, and I know we can only speculate, feels now they feel a, a curiosity towards it. And there has been no apology for it. Yahoo News let yesterday came out with this. Although none of the details about Hunter and James Biden business dealings with the Chinese interests implicate President Biden in any wrongdoing, the depth and breadth of the Biden's financial ties with Ho and Yi. Chinese executives raised new questions as to whether they were targets of a Chinese influence operation, separate and apart from the ongoing criminal probe into Hunter Biden for alleged tax fraud. So whatever we do, let's shield the president. But now you have to question everything involving the president and China. Am I correct? I mean, it should be part of the story for sure that, you know, uh, Hunter was on Biden's vice presidential plane going to China. Did they not talk about anything? There was a meeting set up between um, those executives and Biden by Hunter, probably. Do we not talk about that? I mean, uh, you know, the, the emails have it. There's an email of a Ukrainian, it's a little different story, saying, thank you for setting up a meeting with, with your father. I mean, <laughs> if this was Trump or any Republican, we, it would be wall-to-wall -wall coverage. So yesterday, the president of the United States had his way to attack crime. I'm going to give more money to cops, as if money's the issue, and— I'm going to crack down on ghost guns. 
You write that people are tired of this. I'm fed up with it. I'm not saying ghost guns are an issue, but to think that that is the problem that's behind the surge in crime in every major city, including, and of course, people listening right now know there's been a shooting at about 8.30 this morning uh, in New York City. Multiple people have been shot. There's been no deaths, thankfully, as of this moment, and there looks to be some type of device that was ignited. And as I'm watching this video live on television that was shot by someone's iPhone, you see smoke coming out of the train. So obviously this is something that was thought about. It doesn't look like an act of... Uh, of emotion or rage. It looks like it was plotted out. The guy uh, was a five foot five inch black man wearing a, a vest that made him look like some type of transit worker. So we'll follow that story. But could, to focus on ghost guns, isn't that an insult to people that really want to solve these issues? Uh, yes. I mean, I don't think that we move forward at all because, you know, Basically, Joe Biden and Democrats in general have mailed it in when it comes to this issue. They just have their sights set on ghost guns, I think, because it sounds Salt scary. weapons. Yeah, assault weapons. These things that sound scary and have minimal – I mean, uh, assault weapons are almost never used in criminality or very rarely. Most crimes are committed by handguns, not even ghost guns. It's also very rare. I mean, I'm not saying we shouldn't talk about ghost guns, so I don't like the name, but that has nothing to do with what's going on in a gang shooting in Sacramento in California. That's about the difference. You know, and California, for instance, has every single law you could want, the Democrats want, and you still have it. But this discussion is just stuck in the mud because they're just, these are the things that they like to say, ghost guns, assault, weapons, etc., and, and then just not going to move off of it. But it has nothing to do with the criminality that we're talking about. I know we just go to our same corners, David, and everyone just says, OK, the NRA says here and uh, they, Joe Biden says ridiculously simplistic, simpleton like phrases like he was doing yesterday, pretended to know what he was talking about, scaring everyone by picking up a gun and waving it at the audience. Uh, a little nutty. Uh, but let's move on to the other thing. Now, it's easy to focus on the horror of the Russian way of fighting war and be in awe of the way the Ukrainians are, sta- are standing up for themselves and their sovereignty. But percolating in the background, while the pariah nation Russia is every day we work harder to isolate them, we're asking them to lead the Iranian talks. The Iranian talks to get into a deal that was bad in 2015 and worse now. What is your take on where this is heading and why do Democrats like Senator Murphy support this deal, whatever it is? Well, I mean, I, I can't bore into a soul, but I think people like Chris Murphy support this deal because they want Iran to be a counterforce to Israel in the Middle East. I mean, that's the only reason I can think of letting them have whatever they want, giving them a glide path to nuclear weapons. Um, and that is disturbing, but, you know, he's allowed to have his position. The problem is that they keep pretending that this deal is going to stop Iran from from, from arming itself when it's not. We know that the 2015 uh, deal was broken all the time. The Iranians, can you imagine that n- country with nuclear weapons and what happens to, to the entire area? They could blackmail in the same way we're, we can't deal with Russia because they have nuclear weapons. I mean, you'd have the same thing in the Middle East. And yeah, you mentioned Russia. They would benefit financially from this deal. And they essentially are leading the talks with the United States there when we keep talking about how Putin is a war criminal. Well, yeah, this is going to be part of his uh, resume if, we, if this deal gets done. Unbelievable. David Arsani, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you. You got it. Uh, listen, we're following this story about what's happening in New York City. We're speculating now. We're seeing some video from uh, pedestrians who were there on the subway when it looks like smoke was billowing out. Uh, there were multiple people were shot, uh, bleeding are the accounts. But thankfully, there's no fatalities to report. We'll follow that story and more. When we come back, we go to Stuart Varney. 
uh, on Varney and Company. We'll do a simulcast on FBN, and then I'll finish on the back end with more of your calls. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. The Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney. Don't just hang in there on your investments. Call Talon Wealth and get peace of mind with active management of your portfolio. Dial 833-777-7887. Investment advisory services offered through Talon Private Wealth, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, we are going to be going on with Stuart Varney right now in a matter of moments on FBN, one of the fastest-growing networks in all of cable and streaming. And Stuart's got the number one show, along with Larry Kudlow. Uh, and we're watching uh, some of the breaking news that's happening in Midtown Manhattan with the multiple shooting at a subway. It's become a national story. Let's listen in. Pass on it. Kilmeade, of course, is a New Yorker, knows this city very well, as do we all. And here he is. Brian Kilmeade joins us. All right, Brian, I know you're following the subway problem, the situation here in New York. I was just saying to Lauren, this is the very last thing you want when you're trying to bring people back into midtown Manhattan, back to the offices. And this is also a test for Mayor Adams. What do you say on this? A couple of things. Mayor Adams tested positive for COVID-19. So he has got to stay in hibernation, even though he's got no symptoms, for five days. So uh, he went to that gridiron dinner, I guess, tested positive, had a little bit of a raspy voice, but has no symptoms right now. But under this new rule where unless we're 98.6 degrees and uh, we can't we can't walk around anymore, even though we've walked through uh, stuff that's like this. Only three deaths in New York. But look out, we're going to end up being masked up like Philadelphia. But seeing the shooting in in the subway, I take subway at least three times a week. And I always sit there and said, the good news is if there's a bombing, we're, we're as safe as you can be. But if there's shooting, there's nowhere to go. You really have nowhere to go. And we're watching some of this footage come in. I don't know if you're rolling it in while I'm speaking. But now you see smoke coming out there. So they look like some devices. Looks like the, the assailant, they say, is black, five foot five, uh, wearing a construction vest. Yeah, a construction yes. vest. So people thought he might have been one of a, a track worker or something. So, I mean, I think we're most likely going to find this guy. But what was he planning? And why are there multiple devices that they're searching for? And 13 hit, but thankfully no fatalities to, to, um, you know, uh, to report. And I would say this, 8.30 in the morning, that's peak time. So yep. whoever did this plan to get as many people as possible. And you know the story in the New York Times today. Price Waterhouse, J.P. Morgan Chase, uh, yep. all these major, uh, these major companies have not demanded their people come back. And guess who pays the price? The coffee shops, the dry cleaners. Yep. The, the, the cops, firefighters, because you can't pay their salary if we don't get some revenue from the subways, from the buses, uh, and from the trains. All right, Brian, bearing in mind the situation that's developing in New York City right now, what's your reaction to the president's crackdown on ghost guns? That was what he was all about yesterday afternoon, went to great lengths on ghost guns. Your reaction? This is all about crime and punishment. You have, we have the crime. We supplied that. Can we get some punishment? That allows the law, the law and order, uh, the officers to do their job, knowing they'll be held to pay if I bring him or her in 
for the crime that they perpetrated instead of getting right out. That's the same story in New York, in Chicago, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. The ghost guns is such an insult. As the sheriff I spoke to this morning uh, out in San Francisco is now running for office, said he says it's like blaming the car for a drunk driver. Yeah, ghost guns are a problem. Of course, if you have an unmarked gun that was put together with parts, yeah. But guess what, Stuart? I could get you. You could order a ghost gun right now. You're not going to shoot anybody. I'm not shooting anybody. Most of our audience could get a ghost gun and not have it registered, but you're not going to be killing anybody. The problem is the criminal mind and the punishment that they know is not coming. Cover the New York Post today. 17-year-old shoots 16-year-old. The 17-year-old is going to be tried as a, a juvenile, which means they're out in six years. Is that, is that what you should be doing for murdering somebody? Really? I'll make a prediction. When the president goes out yesterday and hammers ghost guns and then says he wants to go further, the result of that will be probably a million Americans will go out and buy their first gun. Always. That's exactly what's going to happen. There are now five million more households with a gun as of now than there were two years ago. Five million households have added a gun for the first time simply because they believe the Democrats want to take their guns away. Last word to you. Here I will say, and this is what gun owners will tell you, I am not a gun owner, uh, but I'm for the Second Amendment. What they would say is the first thing they did in Venezuela is take away the guns. In Australia, you're not allowed to carry a gun. Uh, in China, in Shanghai, they, they just basically jailed 25 million people for testing positive and being asymptomatic. So uh, the first thing they do is disarm you in society, and then they take over your life. And in yes. Australia, believe it or not, I've never seen such a vicious crackdown from the pandemic from what they did in Australia. And I'm not saying that they wouldn't have done it if they had guns, but I'm telling you, the American people will never be disarmed. Give it up, especially by a president with 36 percent approval rating, with barely with a majority in the House and Senate. That's not where a lot of Democrats stand either, like Joe Manchin and John Tester. The Second Amendment makes America a unique country. Thought so. And that's one of the reasons I'm here. All right, Brian, you're all right. See you again soon. Thanks so much, Tony. Appreciate it. 1-866-408-7669. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. So that's what we're talking about. I do want to talk about the war a little bit this hour. I know it's a it's a dramatic term, but I do want to talk about it. What we're seeing now with the abduction of these kids uh, into Russia, children, tens of thousands, four hundred thousand overall abducted. Mariupol is worse than even the other the the, uh, the other cities that we've seen as the Russians retreated. Now we find out that Vladimir Putin is losing it for sure. He is west. He is arrested over. Uh, a hundred of his um, his intelligence agencies for giving him bad intelligence leading up to the war in Ukraine. And now he's sending in more units. He's bringing out the reserves in order to go and take the Donbass region. And he promises with this new general that was nicknamed the, the Butcher of Syria to make it happen. And it's going to even bloodier than before. While I think the Ukrainians have shown they're one of the finest fighting forces on the planet, they're going to be outgunned. They need help. Here's Vladimir Klitschko on ABC. Cut eight. We are expecting Russian military forces being back and targeting the capital of Ukraine, city of Kiev. We need weapons. We cannot defend our country with the fists. We need weapons to defend our country. Second, isolation, economical isolation of Russia. Every cent and every trade that you do with Russia, and every cent that Russia is getting, they're using for weapons to kill us, Ukrainians. 
Yes, and Russia, you've suffered the loss, according to the Ukrainians, of 19,500 troops, 725 tanks, 1,923 armored vehicles, 347 artillery systems, 154 aircraft. We have to arm them, and they can win, but they will win for all of us. More good news. Sweden and Finland, after 50 years, 60 years, now want to join NATO. Sign them up. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, 48th and 6th. Heard around the country, heard around the world. All eyes are on New York City for the moment, though. 13 heard five shot in Brooklyn subway around 8.30 Eastern time in the morning. Looks like there could be two separate incidents. We're still trying to get it all in. But evidently, um, we have a suspect, but he is uh, at large, five foot five, according to eyewitnesses, black, wearing a construction vest. And evidently, they're looking into devices that could have been undetonated devices. And they have cordoned off a series of blocks right in Brooklyn. So we'll give you the latest. So we're trying to figure out how, you know, a lot of times you get these reports and they end up not panning out. We'll see what happens. We do know people are hurt. They're bleeding. But there are no fatalities. Five shot, 13 hurt, and unexploded devices found. Uh, You can imagine what New York looks like. It was right in the middle of the heart of rush hour this morning. People are coming back to work to a degree. There are a ton of people in Brooklyn. There's a lot of money in this area specifically. And in the subway station, when you get hit, as you know, the nature of a subway, it provides you protection for bombs and it isolates you if if you're looking to get away. So we'll let you know what's happening. There's some video out there and we put that online on foxnews.com. Let's get to, you know, let's get to our first guest. Uh, Doug Collins is here. Uh, you know, Doug Collins, former congressman uh, from Georgia. Uh, he was a gubernatorial, excuse me, a Senate candidate and who knows might be a candidate again, former ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee uh, and host of the Doug Collins podcast and author of Clock in the Calendar, a front row look at the Democrats' obsession with Donald Trump. Doug, welcome back. Hey, Brian, it's always good to be with you. Sorry about today. This is just, I mean, that's just not good news when you hear things like that in the subway. You know, this doesn't seem like, you know, you see these horror stories and you think, well, that's terrible, but it's gang activity or it's uh, it's different type of uh, assailants, uh, obviously different type of criminals. You get the sense that they're not ruling out some type of organized attack. That's the big worry. Yeah, it is, and especially when you get into the system like that, you got people coming back, and, and again, when you have that terror aspect of this, it is, of the unknown, and when you're coordinating attacks, uh, it, it's, it's difficult. So it's time. Again, New York has been through so much in the last uh, few years, and now you know they got to get back to, to controlling the law and order and the, the you know proper criminal justice and, and police action. Our police forces up there need you know need support. And they need some punishment. If they're going to get a criminal, this criminal's got to be punished. They're already a little bit uh, light in terms of their force numbers. The, the, the academies have not been full. They're not paying them a ton of money. And they don't have their back. Although I do think, unlike when you were actually in the House, I do think things are beginning to get better because the American people are sobering up and speaking out. Don't you? I do. I think they're, well, they're looking at the, the one thing about it, I don't care what your political ideology is, is that people want to be safe in their own communities. They want to be safe in their homes. They want to be able to go to work or go to the store and be safe. And there's just not a lot of understanding 
for that to not be the, the top priority. I mean, when they see uh, folks who are have been arrested for things, doing uh, you know, getting back out where you have prosecutors not being prosecutors, that uh, causes a problem. You saw it in schools when parents wouldn't be listed. You're seeing it in communities now that say, we want to be safe. Yeah, and we'll follow this manhunt as it unfolds right here in New York. Uh, so Mayor Eric Adams tested positive for COVID-19, has no symptoms, but he's got to stay isolated. Al Sharpton, of all people, when you talk about criminals, he has, he actually, I thought, said so much by what he did say and the fingers he pointed. Listen to this, cut 37. They're losing people of color because they really don't get the people of color's life. We don't want to be manipulated by right-wing elitist billionaires or by left-wing guys that don't understand our life on the ground that is living in fear of crime, that is yeah. living as a result of inflation that is, that is killing us, many parts of this country. These limousine liberals here in New York don't live in the real world. <laughs> Do you believe this? <laughs> I was back on, back on the right track here. I mean... <laughs> It's amazing, <laughs> right? So, and it's and it's true though. It's, all these people, these liberals, say you know the 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 criminal justice system set up to to um, to to jail the black man or the black uh, uh, the black family or destroy the black family. Then people goes, wait a second. Most of the people that need protection are in the low income minority communities, and that's where they basically told the cops to stay out of. Uh, exactly. Again, criminal justice, you know, when you look at the whole system of criminal justice, which I had a lot of work with the first step out with, the pre- with President Trump, is criminal justice form is not overlooking crime. Criminal justice, is, when you look at it, is making the, cr- the punishment fit the crime and making sure that, that a system that is there, that uh, once a person is, is incarcerated, once they get, you know, they pay for their crime that they're committed, that you find ways to get them uh, back into society where they won't commit crimes again. This idea, and he said it well, I and mean, I think liberals, it's amazing how you can throw money at something without being connected to it. And I think that's what Al's saying there. He's saying, look, quit assuming what the, you're seeing in the movies or anywhere else and actually realize that we're just like everybody else, that we have problems with the economy. We have problems in our streets. And if we're not safe, then we're acting out the same way you would. Yeah, I, I was talking to uh, Congressman Doug Collins. Congressman, it looks like Herschel Walker has decided he will not be doing any debates during the primary season. There's a lot of candidates. He is the front runner. Is that a good move? I personally don't think so. Um, because, And here's my reason. I don't think there's a problem right now with him winning the primary. I mean, at this point, the, the numbers are sort of solidifying that he should win the primary. But, Brian, you and I both know what the real uh, battle is going to be, and that's going to be up into November against Raphael Warnock with a media that will be unrelenting. And I know, I mean, I've talked to his advisor. I've heard some of them, and they're basically going to keep him away because they don't want him to answer questions about, you know, the past reports of, of domestic violence and those kind of things. But why not get out there and learn how to deal with those issues in at least a relatively, you know, friendly environment, if you would, of dealing with other Republican candidates? Because I guarantee you the media and, and Raphael Warnock, and the, the press will not be kind to him. And if he doesn't, it's just like football. If you don't practice, it's going to be tough in the game. And the game is not really for him right now. It's going to be more later in the fall. He's got to get ready. Right now, he's not wanting to. Right. Uh, do you think he's putting the time in on the issues? Well, you don't know that until you ask the questions. Right. And he's not really getting a lot of questions. He's not getting – I mean, he's doing some interviews. I'm not going to say he's not doing any interviews. 
But you and I both know that interviews that have meaningful follow-ups are the kind you have to prepare for. You have to know what you're saying because it gets you off your first, you know, three to four sentences that you're that you train for. That's what I'm not seeing enough of from him. Can he do it? I think he can. But again, you just can't assume I'll just do it when it matters because it, it can come across terrible. So listen, I've very few people. Uh... That Donald Trump has more respect from than you. Uh, we saw the way you battled. You did it not for a favor because you had the facts. And we remember what happened with the impeachment trial, and, and that'd be another one there. So the president's gone out of his way. Uh, and by the way, his numbers are up now. He beats Biden and Kamala Harris significantly, and without being on social media, which is which is enormous. And tell it's also it's learned. So he's going out on a limb. He took Dr. Oz, who's – listen, I'm friendly with him. Got a chance to meet Dave McCormick over Dave McCormick for a traditional conservative with Hope Hicks and other people support him. And he's gone out of his way to support Senator Perdue in a run for the Republican nomination against a sitting governor, Governor Kemp. Here's what Rick Klein, the ABC News political director, sees, for, sees at risk for President Trump. Cut 42. He has put himself on the line, and in a bunch of cases, it could blow up in his face. He was also in North Carolina next to Madison Cawthorn. He was next to a 26-year-old first-time candidate who lives two hours away from the district that he's been endorsed to represent. He's with Ted Budd, who, who's got a tough ch- uh, primary challenge on his own. And, of course, the races in Georgia, uh, where he has made it his mission in life to try to unseat the, the, Democrat, the Republican governor and the Republican secretary of state who stood up against the big lie. There's a real chance that, that Donald Trump loses some of these primary races and or that he, the Republicans end up with a candidate who can't win the general election. So this is a big moment, I think, for Donald Trump. I think the conventional wisdom about him as this kingmaker, as the biggest force in the Republican Party, it's going to be tested when you have actual Republican primary voters in a range of states starting next month. So how do you feel about what he said? Is the president on the line and do you support Kemp or Purdue? I don't. No, I don't support Kemp. I support Purdue in this. And I think Purdue's got a, a very uphill battle, though. Again, here's the interesting thing, and I think that concerns a lot of us. That the former president has made a lot of of, uh, of picks. I mean, he's tried to influence. He's tried to be in those races. But you saw the, the what happens when you do make a choice, no matter who you are. There's some people who are not going to like the choice, especially if candidates have been in the race a long time. And that's that Oz and McCormick race up in Pennsylvania. That one's going to be an interesting one because that one did split. You know what would be the MAGA base, I guess, if you if you wanted to call it that. So it's going to be interesting to see how that works. Um, but you're, I mean, I, I think it, the, the matter of this is the endorsement is still one of the most valuable in a Republican primary that you can get. I disagree with him when he said that you're going to get candidates in Georgia that couldn't get elected in a, in a general. I think all the candidates he's endorsed here could get elected in general. I'm just not sure some of them can beat the ones in the primary. So his endorsement is real, but you have to have candidates who do the basics, Brian. Raise money, have a ground game, have a, a plan. You know, the very things that win elections have to go along with those endorsements. And it's just they can't just simply sit back and say, I'm not going to have to do anything because I'm simply endorsed by Donald Trump. Uh, we're talking to uh, we're talking to Doug Collins right now, and we're just also following what's happening. Where there's a manhunt now for the shooter. We understand the shooter got away in the subway. So I'm still we're wow. still seeing footage coming in here. But talking about uh, these candidates in particular, I don't think Senator Purdue worked too hard in Georgia uh, after the runoff. He went to areas in which he did well. He did not show up for the debates. He didn't try to go into urban areas and take anything from Warnock. Therefore, he lost. Has he had a different work ethic? Because he has not closed the gap against Kemp. And if you divide the Republican Party and leave some home, Stacey Abrams gets becomes governor. 
Well, that's the problem right now you had. Uh, Brian Kemp saw the wrath of the Republican, a little bit of the Republican base on this past weekend. He went into Fulton County, which is not the, the one of the, some of the more rabid conservative base, but was, was heckled, was, was and, and left after a couple of questions. David Perdue is actually on the ground more than I've ever seen him, even when the 2014 campaign, when he won his race for Senate. He's out seeing people, but the reality is, is he's also up against a – uh, incumbent governor who just came out of a session down here where he made promises and the, and the legislature kept those promises for him. So, you know, things that he remembered, like finally on constitutional carry, uh, bonuses for teachers, those kind of things, he's able to campaign on that. It's always difficult to, uh, in dealing with an incumbent governor with a power that was like the one in Georgia. So I think Dave is doing all that he can, but it's going to take, you know, resources, I think, more than just the endorsement from President Trump, which I think helps him. But here's one thing that listeners ought to know. This incumbent governor who's been through a lot in a state that has opened up early, that has been financially is doing very well, is still below 50% for the most part. He's right. He's hovering just below 50%. And in Georgia, that means a runoff. So if you're that governor with that much money, the RGA, the Governor Association, supporting you, putting $5 million on it, and you're still not able at this second to say, I've got, I'm over 50, that's got to be a concern for the Kemp folks. It does. Uh, I guess it has a lot to do with Purdue running because uh, Purdue's got his popularity and Kemp has his popularity. Here's what Chris Christie said, cut 43. You've got the Republican Governors Association, which for the first time in my memory is getting involved in primaries against Donald Trump in Georgia, in Idaho, in Alabama, in Ohio. And I'm telling you right this morning, I'll put myself on the line, the Republican incumbent governor is going to win all four of those primaries. Mike DeWine in Ohio, Brad Little in Idaho, Brian Kemp in Georgia, Kay Ivey in Alabama. He's going to win all of them. Um, and, and I think that you're going to see Pat McCrory win that Senate primary in North Carolina. So, what- so that, would do, that would do some damage to the president. Now, the president, uh, the former president, if he wants to be president again, he's got to stay in a role from 2022 to 24, right? Have you spoken to yeah, him about I, this? Well, we've, so we've talked. He was in here in Georgia. I think the concern is, yeah, the, I think Chris Christie's wrong in that. I think several of those races, I don't think the Kemp race is decided yet. If it gets to a runoff, I think that's going to be uh, – it's still an uphill battle for Purdue, but I think Purdue can still win. Um, McCroy, I mean, I'm not sure what information he's dating on. That's going to depend on a great deal of uh, push to get Bud back down. Bud seems to have, have went up. Uh, Obama Walker is still running that campaign. So, uh, look, some of that is just the old – uh, this is the way the establishment Republicans have done it, and, you know, uh, Donald Trump. And it's also a little bit of, you know, let's see if – I think there's a fervor out there to say, hey, let's see if some of these happen so yeah. we can knock Donald Trump down a little bit. Doug, uh, real quick, I want you to hear this. This is a question from Jonathan Swan to Mitch McConnell on Herschel. Herschel Walker, the leading GOP candidate in the vital Senate race in Georgia. You endorsed him, yet his ex-wife says he pointed a pistol at her head and said, I'm going to blow your effing brains out. And an ex-girlfriend has accused him of threatening her life. Why is he a suitable candidate? Herschel Walker has addressed that issue repeatedly over the last 10 years. Uh, I think he's... It's a heck of an issue. Well, he had... uh, He admitted he had had some troubles in his life. Uh, He's been an exemplary citizen in recent years. Uh, He's a hero in Georgia. Uh, almost every candidate's had troubled. Okay, including Warnock had accusations against him, too. But what's your reaction to that exchange? And what, would, what should Herschel take from that exchange? 
my Herschel, my, my take is what is Herschel going to do in that kind of exchange, which he's been kept from, uh, except in you know interviews that were controlled. That's that's I mean that's what I'm talking about, Brian, right there. When you're coming out of an event in October and you have that reporter and 15 others yelling the same thing, all looking for that you know half a you know 30 second soundbite. He has talked about it. He has explained it. But the more people hear about it, and when Warnock and his group have 150 million dollars to to blast that kind of of information, you're going to have a lot to you that you can try and go back at Warnock. Off. But again, you know Warnock's the incumbent here. And frankly, because Georgia was so screwed up in our last session where we got put to where we couldn't attack Warnock um, because of the way our primary was set up, I mean, it's going to take a lot. So it is. he's got to answer these questions. Yeah, it was a, it was a jungle primary. Uh, everybody, yep. uh, one come one, come all. Everybody against everybody. Doug Collins, always, always great. Thanks so much. Brian, take care. All right, we're following the manhunt in Brooklyn after the shooting where uh, five were shot, 13 wounded. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Brett Baer at the bottom of the hour. Your call's next. Don't move. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Um, and then I saw the individual from my video who was laid out in the middle of the platform, bleeding out all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, people started rushing towards us, running towards us. One guy was screaming that it's not worth your life uh, to get videos and stuff. Uh, and that is Sam uh, Kirkama. We think he's he's an eyewitness of the... in the morning, attack at a subway station in Brooklyn. Multiple people were shot in that subway system in the Brooklyn. Uh, It was during rush hour. Police officers were called to 36th Street where the DNR trains, I think that, I do believe that's the same line that's underneath this building, passed through the Sunset Park neighborhood around 8.30. Uh, the police department is there. you got to see this scene. They still have everything blocked off. The fire department said that 13 people were injured, several by gunfire. A senior law enforcement official said the police were seeking a heavyset man with a gas mask and an orange construction vest. An orange construction vest, okay. Uh, wearing a dark blue outfit that appears to resemble that of a transit worker. That's a little bit different. We heard construction. The official said the, investi- the investigators believed that a smoke bomb went off. Then the gunman had shot from inside a subway train. Videos posted on social media showed panic riders. It didn't look that crazy, though. Fourth Avenue near 35th and dozens of other police vehicles with flashing lights stretched down at least four blocks. They think he was he ran underground. So he's somewhere in the subway system unless he found a way to get out. Obviously, he probably got rid of that vest. Wow. So this is uh, one of those days um, that you have to ride the breaking news. More than happy to do it. Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hindsight's twenty twenty, but I mean, you go back to Crimea. Is there, do you, do you ever think could I have done something differently? You know, the the situations in each of these uh, circumstances are different, but I think that what we're seeing consistently is a reminder of why it's so important for us to not take uh, our own democracy for granted. Why it's so important for us to uh, stand for and ally ourselves with uh, those who believe in freedom and independence. And, uh, and I think that uh, the current administration is doing what it needs to. That was, uh, that was President Obama, and he was with Al Roker. 
And he was just answered that question. That was from today, right? That was from today. Uh, Brett Baer joins us now, chief political anchor for Fox News, anchor special report, uh, his book to rescue the Republic, uh, the fragile union, the crisis of 1876, uh, still available. And we're watching what's happening in Brooklyn right now. We're at about 830 this morning. Uh, shots rang out. At least six people were struck. Thirteen people were hurt. They're also looking into some type of devices that could have won off or maybe undetonated. Some people are walking that back in terms of the assailant, five foot five, a little bit overweight, wearing a construction vest. That's the early indication. Brett Baer, welcome back. Hey. Uh, first off, I guess to, to the first thing, we're watching what's developing in New York, and I'll, I'll intervene as I think they're going to address the press shortly. But just in your take on President Obama saying in retrospect would he have done things differently, was he being candid, do you think? It's, I mean, obviously we could have come down a lot harder in Crimea and we wouldn't have had an all right invasion uh, probably eight years later. Yeah, I mean, I think he he kind of pivoted uh, to why we need to worry about our own democracy. I mean, this is the same President Obama, who in a debate with Mitt Romney made fun of Mitt Romney calling Russia our biggest geopolitical foe, saying the 50s called and they want their foreign policy back. Uh, So, you know, he did not take that threat that seriously. And when he did say this cannot stand, um, about two weeks after he said that, Crimea had new passports and a different time zone. So um, I think – Listen, there's a lot of criticism to go around of administrations past, uh, but you can't rewrite your own history when it comes to Russia and invasions. Uh, no question. And there's so many things happening right now. You know, you have this new general that's in charge with this terrible reputation of being br- brutal and ruthless, kind of like the way the Russians have been fighting from day one in Ukraine. What is your take, Brett, of as we effort to find out what's happening in Russia? It looks like Vladimir Putin is, has fired over 100 of his FSB agents and put most of them in jail. I assume not because they were stealing, uh, they were taking office supplies. I'm pretty sure as relations to the intel he had going into this disastrous Ukraine campaign. Yeah, and also potential threats from within that that group. You know, um, at some point, that's he's got a clear house with the people he thinks are a threat to him, and maybe they're increasing. Although I tell you, he's he's putting out a a very public, uh, confident tone. Uh, it may not be that on the inside, but. If you look at the numbers, uh, Russia has not felt it. The ruble is back uh, to where it was pre-war. Gazprom, the biggest Russian oil company, is making more money now than it did at the beginning of the war, despite all of these sanctions. Um, and so there, the sanctions are leaky. Some of them haven't kicked in fully. Uh, Europe is still getting a ton of oil and gas from Russia. And so some of it is a patina that we either have to change or, um, you know, he's going to be able to continue this war, regroup, even though he lost on the battlefield, and come back again. He did address the press this morning. I don't know what the time zone changed, but lately and over the last few hours, at which time he was uh, briefing some of his people and took a question from the press, basically said, I had to fight this war because uh, the Ukrainians were being threatened by Nazis, and I had to go in there. I mean, does anyone buying that? I mean, that you can't answer that question. I can't answer that question. But clear-thinking people can't have have contacts with Ukraine, just like we'd have contacts in Canada. You know, we, we'd be able to go past uh, Twitter 
and get the answer, wouldn't you think? I would think. I mean, by now, we're you know we're trying to get information into Russia a number of different ways, but I um, just find it hard to believe that Russian citizens don't know anything about what's happening really in Ukraine. And the Nazi thing is not flying. It's just not. And, you know, listen, let's be honest. There were Nazi groups or pro-Nazi or sympathizing groups, uh, battalions, uh, as a part of southern Ukraine. Uh, But that's not the reason to go in, and uh, nor is it the reason to obliterate entire cities and uh, thousands and thousands of people. Right. So uh, we'll see what happens. The other really intriguing thing, Russia is warning Sweden and Finland against NATO membership. They're moving ahead uh, in the summer, June, July, to become, after 50, 60 years, join NATO. I mean, if Russia has its hands full with Ukraine— are they going to go try to attack Sweden and Finland? No, but Sweden and Finland know that they would like that umbrella of protection. Watching what's happening now as a neighbor of Russia, I think uh, it's really significant. If you look at both those countries, that are set out specifically to be neutral, to be removed, and now they are getting into the NATO fold. Um, it's a really big world development and not not a good place for Russia. Uh, Very interesting. So the other big story, and again, we're waiting for the police press conference here on the subway shooting uh, in New York City, which seems to be uh, at least pre-planned. Just a couple of things. Let me just add, this is always, you know, whenever it's New York, whenever it's some event like this, the first thing that goes up is some kind of organized attack that is beyond some person. Um, we don't know that, but it's the first thing you think about just because of New York and the history. Um, and we lived that way for a long, long time. If you think about 9-11 and the years after 9-11, we just haven't thought that way for a while. We don't know what this is yet. Absolutely. And I guess before I leave the war, what are you hearing in terms of the Pentagon getting weapons to the Ukraine or to the Eastern European nations to get more Soviet-style weapons to the Ukrainians? Where how how solid is that effort? And do you believe the president is on board the way Boris Johnson seems to be? Get those anti-ship missiles in there. He's getting a missile defense system in there. So, I mean, we see him actually visit there. Is Are we keeping a lower profile but doing just as much in proportion? I can't judge that yet. And I'm hoping that our people on the ground will get a better sense from the Ukrainians and maybe even see the supply line in person. We're working on that story. But I know the criticism from the Ukrainians. I know what President Zelensky said and told me in that interview. And since I've had conversations with Ukrainians saying that they're having troubles getting everything that has been promised. Now, we have gotten a lot in, like thousands and thousands of of javelins, of stingers, um, the bigger systems are a little bit tougher. The S-300s come from other countries. Um, the Patriot missile batteries have gone to Poland. Uh, but 
I don't know the answer to your question, and I really would like to find out. All right. So the other big story, and you covered it a little bit last night, is inflation. And as expected, 8.5 percent was at 7.9 percent. This is the highest since 1980. Pretty significant. Larry Summers, who said to everybody last year, we don't need a rescue plan of 1.9 trillion. And President Biden did it anyway. Remember, President Obama's Treasury Secretary makes you wonder, is a recession next? Cut 12. The painful fact, uh, though, is that historically, when we've had inflation above four and we've had unemployment below four, essentially always since World War II, that's been followed by a recession within the next two years. Perhaps we will be fortunate and there will be sufficiently rapid adjustments in commodity prices and other bottlenecks that will make that uh, not uh, happen. Perhaps the Fed will be extraordinarily skillful. But I think the Fed, and lucky, but I think the Fed has a very, very difficult job. And most people say, pedestrians like me, notice that the Fed just seems to maybe push up interest rates to help control inflation, which has obvious some downsides too. I think we're in a precarious position. And, um, you know, you talk to a bunch of different economists and John McCain used to say, you know, it's it's good to have a one armed economist because they're always saying on the one hand or the other hand. But <laughs> there is there is um, a real sense that we're on the precipice of something, you know, whether this bubble is going to burst, whether the recession is going to happen. Uh, clearly, you have Joe Manchin, a Democrat from West Virginia who again today is sounding the alarm, saying the administration did not act when we told them to up on Capitol Hill. This is well before the Ukraine war. So they can say Putin price hike until they turn blue in the face. And maybe it affects some polls somewhere where people say, oh, yes, it's Russia. But in reality, all of this started well before anything happened on the ground in Ukraine. I can't believe I got to talk about this, but COVID-19, where they're masking up in Philadelphia again, Cases are going up, but deaths are going down in New York, as well as hospitalizations. In Washington, D.C., you guys had a 90 percent increase in cases, but it's not resulting with this subvariant of a variant in anything serious. Most people with that underlying conditions are not suffering at all. Eric Adams evidently had a raspy throat. It's fine today. And Nancy Pelosi, uh, unless you have something different, I saw no symptoms. Senator Rand Paul is just amazed at the double standard he's seeing with the with justice. Um, with uh, Justice Jackson, a big event outdoors, the kissing that was taking place indoors to celebrate Obamacare, yet they tell us something totally different, us pedestrians. Cut 18. It really depends on whether you're a Democrat or Republican. You know, when I got uh, COVID early on, I had no symptoms. Finally got a positive test 10 days after I probably had the disease. And so I was no longer infectious. And yet everybody went crazy because, oh, he was in the gym or he was here and that. Two Democrats were positive that same spring, had antibodies, and nobody went back to look at their calendar to say, now, where were they on this day, this day, this day? No, it's a double standard. The people they don't like, the left-wing media loves going after Republicans, but when it's Nancy Pelosi, oh, that's not really close contact. Well, that's ridiculous. Nobody in America that sees that, uh, you know, her kissing Biden on the cheek knows it, you know, would understand that not to be close contact. Uh, so he sees the double standard. Obviously, he's been a critic of Anthony Fauci to begin with. Are you getting a lot of that? I mean, on and off camera? Yes. 
yes. I mean, there is a hypocrisy here. I mean, there is a, you know, I, I agree that it's less because fortunately the hospitalizations and deaths are coming down. Uh, but there's still this kind of hysteria that, you know, this is a super spreader event, the gridiron dinner, the, you know, all of this stuff. And yet there's not the blowback that we saw for other events. You know, Rand Paul is right in a way. Um, fortunately, I think that the the seriousness of the illness is going down in this variant. And who knows? I mean, maybe nature's way to burn out this thing is, is to do what's happening. It's just that our public policy has not evolved with the variant. You know, so we're still in this this mindset that we may have to go back to masks, we may have to go back to testing, you know, every week or something, and perhaps that's not where we need to be. How about the fact that Title 42 is going away, the pandemic's over? How about the fact that we're going to keep masks on planes, the pandemic's not over? How about we need billions of dollars for pandemic relief so the pandemic is not over? And then how about let's keep your distance, uh, let's wear a mask, as opposed to, well, you can kiss somebody, but as long as you don't kiss them for 15 minutes. I don't know who's got that type of time. I've been attracted to people before. I have never felt to myself I got 15 minutes just to make out. Have you, Brett? <laughs> no, I need at least 20. You need it's, at least 20, right? So, yeah. well, why bother? No, I mean, it's crazy. If you can't call what happened in, in the East Room close contact <laughs> and they're standing right next to each other and she <laughs> gives a kiss on his cheek, right? I mean, it's crazy. Here's a dinner in Washington. There are tables. They're separated a little bit. And everybody gets it. There's 83 people who get it. They're not kissing each other on the cheek every two seconds. And so, I don't know. It's just, it's a... It's It's an insult to our intelligence. We're trying to approach this scientifically to follow the science, and it's asinine. So listen to Dr. Scott Gottlieb, hardly the bastion of controversy on Face the Nation. The CDC guidance was always bizarre. It talked about 15 cumulative minutes as if this is radiation exposure, that you have increased risk from cumulative exposure. This is binary. You either catch it or you don't. What CDC is defining as a minimum standard for what they believe close contact is. But if you're hugging someone, that certainly supersedes 15 minutes of being around someone within six feet. And so we just need to be practical about this. Close contact is what we what we know close contact is. Um, with respect to the president, I, I hope he does well and, and doesn't catch this. I do think he's probably out of the woods from his exposure to the Speaker of the House. But saying that that wasn't close contact, where we have pictures of him hugging the Speaker, that clearly was close contact. And I just think we need to be plain spoken and practical about how we describe these things. Don't you think? No kidding. Yes. <laughs> I mean, people are just so just tired of it. And if, if you keep on doing this, if you keep on saying that's not close contact, if you keep on saying we've got to lock down again, you're going to lose people entirely. And they're not going to pay attention to any of your warnings, even when, chicken little, something is serious yeah. and you need to have, listen. All right, uh, Brett, good luck tonight. Uh, don't be, uh, if you need a full screen to dedicate the show to me, let me know um, because I have new headshots. <laughs> okay. You got That's it. All right, All Brett, right. thank you so much. Uh, to Rescue the Republic, still out and available. Back in a moment, Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
He has put himself on the line, and in a bunch of cases, it could blow up in his face. He was also in North Carolina next to Madison Cawthorn. He was next to a 26-year-old first-time candidate who lives two hours away from the district that he's been endorsed to represent. He's with Ted Budd, who, who's got a tough ch uh, primary challenge on his own. And, of course, the races in Georgia, uh, where he has made it his mission in life to try to unseat the, the, Democrat, the Republican governor and the Republican secretary of state who stood up against the big lie. The, there's a real chance that, that Donald Trump loses some of these primary races and or that he, the Republicans end up with a candidate who can't win the general election. So this is a big moment, I think, for Donald Trump. I think the conventional wisdom about him as this kingmaker, as the biggest force in the Republican Party, it's going to be tested when you have actual Republican primary voters in a range of states starting next month. Dr. Oz, uh, Dave McCormick, both extremely qualified, very different skill sets, backgrounds. But a lot of MAGA people are upset the president made a choice and went with Dr. Oz instead of just maybe letting it play out. And a lot of MAGA people like Stephen Miller and Hope Hicks are with Dave McCormick. Both have done our show. Um, I'm a real fan of Dr. Oz. I think he'd be a dynamic personality, um, get things done. A lot of people don't think he's conservative. I, I do. I mean, I've talked to him on and off camera. I really do. You know, there's certain things you can't do when you, you're a network television. When you're doing syndicated television, working for Oprah Winfrey, you can't come out and say, you know, that Donald Trump makes a lot of sense. And I think he's getting an unfair deal with the media. You just can't do it. Doesn't pay. Plus, he's a medical expert. So why would he put that all on to weigh in on this thing? So, uh, uh, you know, there's that. Meanwhile, the other big story that we've been following all morning since the 830 attack, uh, there's a guy they're looking for, a five foot five, left through the subway system wearing what they think is a transit vest. Uh, he was able to, uh, sh five people shot, 13 people hit. We were able to see some of the video of the bleeding. It is serious. New York and Brooklyn has been shut down since the shooting this morning. We'll be following it here locally and nationally. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.